Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I can see you. You can see me, believe it or not. <laughs> Welcome to Life Church this morning. We're expecting a great time together. We hope that you'll take a moment and get your Bibles and text your friends and let them know that they can visit on the live stream, either by Sermon.net, one of the channels there, the app, our website, or Facebook. And join us this morning as, a, as we're expecting God to do great and marvelous things in our midst. Right where you are, the scripture says, wherever two or three are gathered, there he is. And so let's take a moment and pray right now, and then we're going to enter into a time of worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege, God, of, of, of preaching your word and worshiping you and knowing that your presence and your glory comes when we come in your name with a sincere heart, Lord God. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reach through the medium of, the, of this telecast, Lord, and speak to each and every one. We pray, as so many times we pray when we're together, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives for the glory of your name. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts that we might hear you clearly this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
you, Father, and to praise you. 
God, how does a God, a king that created the heavens and the earth, how does a creator, omnipotent father that knows the stars by name, how, do, how can he possibly love us? You might be sitting in your room. You might be sitting in your living room right now and you say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Justin, you don't know what, we, what I've gone through and what I've done. Let me tell you that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords says you are forgiven if you just ask. He paid the price of sin with his own son, Jesus' blood, the Son of God. Shed his blood on a cross. Shed every drop of blood to pay for the sin that you've done. And it's a gift that he gives to you and all you have to do is reach out and get it and ask for it, ask for the king. Say, Father, forgive me. And turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your ways and pursue the king. Pursue the God that calls you his friend. And he will now consider you blameless. All those old things are now passed away. All those old things have been thrown into as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness, the word says. And you are considered blameless. He doesn't remember those things anymore. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So turn your way. Turn. Repent isn't just sorry. Repent is I'm turning from what I was doing before. And I'm going to move forward to where the king, where my God wants me to be.
anticipation we await the promise to come everything that you have spoken will come to pass let it be done and with great anticipation we await the promise to come everything that you have spoken will come to pass let it be done we receive your We receive your rain. We receive your rain. We receive your rain. We receive your rain we receive your rain like a flood like a flood we receive your love like a flood Father God, let your love pour out in every house, every home, 
every living room, every kitchen, every bedroom, everywhere that somebody is listening, somebody is watching. I pray that your anointing would be there. God, we don't want recognition. We don't want glory for ourselves, God. We want you and nothing else. We want you and nothing else. There is only you. We don't play these songs. We don't sing these songs to give ourselves glory. We sing these songs and we play these songs to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We play these songs and we worship you, God. And it's all for you. It's all for you. Nothing else, Lord.
just want you And I don't want it if you're not in it I just want you No, I don't want it if you're not in it I just want you Sing again And I don't want it if you're not in it I just want you words right now, they're kind of like the theme song of what God's doing right now. It's so easy to get focused in and miss what's happening. Just this morning, I received messages from individuals. There's a hunger that is growing in the hearts of people around the world. Statistic came in this morning. In the UK, where less than 5% of the population even attends church, they said in the last several weeks that over 20, 20-25% of the young adults in, in, in the UK have tuned in to church services online. They're looking for something. Other churches in the state, one in, in Texas, a very large church where they average about 30, 35,000 people every week in their multi-campuses. They said that just last week alone, they had almost 150,000 people tune in online 
and thousands that texted in messages coming in that they received Jesus Christ in their life. I believe those words, they're saying, I don't want it if you're not in it. <clears throat> I believe that's a rally cry to churches across America today that the people are saying, we don't want some man-made thing. We're not interested in just some formula or method or framework or structure or tradition. If God is not in it, we don't want it. And that needs to be the heart cry. I'm just telling you, that song struck a chord in my heart this morning. I don't know about you, but it says, can we just sing that one part again? Just sing that again. Because I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. And I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. And I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. of who you are to be vibrant and alive in our lives every single moment every breathing moment that we have Father we pray even now as we make this transition we thank you for your presence there are people who are tuning in right now and they're sensing your presence they may not even know that's what it is but they're sensing your presence and there's a hunger inside. And they're saying, I want whatever that is. I, I want. And what it is, Lord, it's you. They want you. They want you. Father, we just thank you for the power that is in the name of Jesus. Now open our ears and give us understanding to what you're saying this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship team. Appreciate it so much. Well, they sang their hearts out yesterday, leading for almost two hours in the parking lot as we had a drive-in and worship and prayer time. And here they are again this morning. I'm so appreciative that their heart is to glorify Jesus. Well, we welcome you again, and I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you, not only just for tuning in, but those of the Life Church family for your continued faithfulness in your giving. 
Listen, I know this is difficult times, but you know, if there was going to be a shutdown time, God has picked a time to do it. I'm, I'm just telling you. I mean, you, you, God is providing in so many ways. I've, I've received text messages and emails from people saying, I didn't expect this to happen, but this came in, or this happened, and this came in. Well, we have so many ways that you can continue to faithfully give, and we, we don't push that a lot, but we just want you to know you can mail in your tithes and offerings to the church that's listed on our website. Check out the new website, uh, lifechurchla.com. Uh, you can give on the website. You can use our app. You can text to give. All of those things are on the screen. You can see how to do that, and we just thank you for your continued faithfulness and giving. Amen. I'm going to give a message this morning that, uh, well, I, I had kind of made up my mind that I wanted to go in a different vein, but how many of you know it's not what I want, it's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. And so uh, the title of the message this morning is called Misdirection versus Misdirection, Okay. And uh, I'm going to start by reading a quote to you that I read a couple months ago by Dr. Tony Evans. I was reading an article, an interview with him following, shortly following after the, his, his wife's uh, passing away. And, and I, I put this up on the screen so that you could see what he said. And he said this, he said, God will not skip the church house to fix the White House. He will only work through the church he will not bypass the church, so our failure has helped open the door for our cultural collapse. I have repeatedly stated since the beginning of this pandemic event that God is trying to get the attention of his people, of his church. And while I can make arguments for other purposes due to the outgrowth or outflow of the lockdown of our nation, I don't want to go there. That's not my focus this morning. That's not what God is saying to my heart. And it's, it, and it's continuing in the same vein. Uh, I have also continually stated that God is a great multitasker, okay? He, he, he can use an event to accomplish more than one thing in his eternal purposes. However, my focus is remaining on a statement that we find seven times in the book of Revelation, in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. Seven times Jesus says, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Uh, through a series of events, I received a text message from someone asking about a message that I had preached a few years ago that was no longer on our website. We had just deleted uh, a number of the archive things that were on there going back several years. And so I reposted it for that individual to watch and listen to. And in doing so, I kind of went through some things. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, go, go back and look at what I told you. Because it was in November of 2016. And the message that I preached was called Heaven's Catastrophe. Now, I know most people think uh, that couldn't be a positive thing because catastrophes are bad. Or, and, and the Bible says in James that all good things come down from our Father above. 
But we need to understand something about the word catastrophe. And that is that it comes from a, a word that means to overturn. And, and it defined, it, it, it's defined as an event that causes great and often sudden damage, suffering, or change, a momentous event ranging from extreme misfortune to utter overthrow or ruin. And then I went on to share something that I didn't know because I'm not a mathematician or anything like that. I, I, can, I can do basic, you know, I know how to balance my checkbook. I know how to do, uh, keep a profit and loss for a business and everything. But when you get into X over Y squared, whatever, all that kind of stuff, you know, that's not my thing, all right? But I learned something as I researched this out back in 2016, that there is something that is called the catastrophe theory. And what that means, it's a branch of mathematics, and it is a set of methods that is used to study and classify the ways in which a continuous and linear input might give rise to sudden and unexpected outcome. Now, I know you're listening to that going, Pastor, I have no clue what you're talking about. So let me give you a real-life example that probably every one of us can understand. The slow and regu regular migration of continental plates slowly builds and constantly pushing and begins to increase in the stress until a certain amount of energy is built up over a period of time. And for years, it, it may appear nothing seems to be appearing. It seems innocent, nothing's taking place, but it's like a ticking time bomb because as that steady pressure of the continental plates, I'm talking about in the earth, as they begin to push against each other, at some point, um, this is where it happens. All of a sudden, this energy is released and it's released in the form of an earthquake. And I stated on that Sunday in November 2016 that we had just witnessed something to that effect um, in the spiritual realm. And what I was referring to was the uh, election, the presidential election at that time, of who is now President Trump. And I went on to relate that the outward events that triggered the outcome of the election, everybody was convinced that uh, Mrs. Clinton was going to win. However, I stated that um, th there had been outward events, there had been prayer meetings, there had been groups meeting, there had all kinds of things that were taking place over a period of time that seemed like there was no impact taking place, nothing gonna come from it, but it was building and in the last moment, it completely overturned everything. Go back and look at that if you want to. But what I'm saying is that I also stated on that Sunday in November that America had been granted one more chance to repent and turn their hearts to back towards God. And I also stated that while God has given us a, pre, a reprieve, it was not time for the church in America to go back to sleep. Uh, th that I, and I made the statement that more than ever, this was the time for the church to continue what it had been doing leading up to that momentous moment. And I gave two warnings. 
And I went back and found them, and I'm going to put them up on the screen so you can see this right now. And I gave two warnings, and the first one was that the church cannot think that the battle for our nation is over, and that it's only begun. And this is not where spiritual warfare ends. In other words, just because an election has taken place doesn't mean that's it, now it's all done. And, and then I went on to say this, that when you pray continuously, you can expect the kingdom of darkness to focus its attention on you. And so here was this thing that people were continuing to pray, continuing to fast, continuing to bombard heaven with prayers, and no outwardly in the political arena, in the natural, it seemed like nothing was taking place. All suddenly there was a tectonic shift in the political thing on election day and something changed. Now this is not a political message, so please understand, I'm, just, I'm using this just as an example so that we can understand this. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. A, a lot of people are saying that God is, is uh, allowing this for a lot of different reasons. I'm talking about the present day events. And so I've had people send me texts, like 1 John 4 and 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Uh, world. Uh, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and all of those things. And, uh, but but I, I'm, I'm looking at this scripture in Ephesians 6, and it says, stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, this is what I'm sensing from the Holy Spirit, that, that there's two mindsets right now in the church, and one of them needs to change. One of them needs to shift, and I, I'm going to try and bring that out, because here's what you have to understand. The, the phrase, stand strong, is an action statement. The previous two scriptures that I read about greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, and, and uh, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, those are positional statements. In other words, they have to do with my position, your position in Jesus Christ and in relationship with God. But the word phrase stands strong is a, is a command of action. So it's one is position. I don't have to work to be in relationship with God and that, that I am a child of God because of what God has done. It's not by my works of righteousness that save me, but by according to his mercy and his shed blood on the cross. I am a child of God. You are a child of God if you've accepted Christ into your life and you've surrendered your life. That position cannot be taken away. But the ability to stand strong is found in that position, but it requires action on my part, okay? And unfortunately, for, most of the, for, for the most part, the church in America, after the election, had basically hit the snooze button, and they failed to learn the principle from the catastrophe theory. And the formula was that it involved a continuous and linear input that brings about a sudden and unexpected outcome. In other words, what they have failed to recognize is that the answer to our prayers is in direct correlation to the continuous input of our prayers. Does that make sense? The outcome 
has to do with the input. And so it's directly correlated with that. And the church over the past three years or so has failed to learn that like the tectonic plates in the earth that are pushing against each other, that eventually build up energy that cause an earthquake, we have failed to understand the necessity of continuing to pray and continuing to stand strong in the midst of a time of battle, in the midst of a time of warfare. And the church has lost sight that God answers prayers. God doesn't answer hopes, dreams, or wishes. He acts upon prayers. But meanwhile, the enemy of God and his church is trying to tear the fabric of our society apart. And the spirit of Antichrist has literally been loosed over our nation, and we're seeing it on television, we're seeing it in social media, and it's beginning to manifest in the streets of our cities. And we have to ask ourselves, how could this happen? How could this happen in America? Well, um, my grandson loves to come to my house and, and, he, and he's always interested if I have recorded a certain TV show for him. I'm not going to name what it is, but he knows what it is. And he's sitting right there and he's all excited about it. Because he loves these two guys who are illusionists, magicians. They have the biggest magic show kind of thing in Las Vegas, okay? And um, he loves watching them. And, he, and, and, and so we'll sit there and watch that together. And I mean, he's on the edge of his seat watching those guys, trying to figure out how these illusionists are working. And the Holy Spirit kind of brought that to mind uh, just a day or so ago. And because if you ask a world-class illusionist, in fact, I watched a show a couple weeks ago where they were showing how they had been beaten, how they had been, uh, uh, they couldn't guess how the illusionist on the stage was doing what they're doing. It was professional against professional. I mean, it's like the top dog in that field getting beat by somebody else. And, and they asked them, they said, what, what, is, this, what is the main secret uh, uh, of the trade, if I can put it that way, of an illusionist, okay? And, and they, they agreed that in almost every case, it is the art of misdirection, okay? So what is misdirection? Misdirection is a form of deception in which the performer draws audience attention to one thing <clears throat> to distract them from what they're actually doing. Okay, I mean, I've watched illusionists before and, and, you know, I've turned to my wife and gone, I don't believe that's real. There's no way they could do that. How could they pull that off? And then they show you behind the scenes how they do it. And it's like you hit yourself in the head and go, why didn't I see that? Because of the act of misdirection, your focus is taken someplace else. And so I began to think about that in the light of Scripture. And look what it says in Ephesians 6 and 12. 6 and 10 says, stand strong and in the power of the might of the Lord. So he says, for our fight is not against flesh and blood. What is he saying? He's saying, but it's against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So here's, here, here, in other words, here's what it is. An illusionist 
will say, keep your eye on this. Keep your eye on something. And so you're keeping your eye on it, and, and maybe they're doing something else with you like that, and then all of a sudden they go like this, and you've lost it. And you're like, how could that happen? Because an illusionist is trying to grab your attention over here so that you're not seeing what they're doing over here. And so that's what Paul is saying right here in Ephesians. He's saying, our fight is not against flesh and blood. The enemy is saying, here's the fight, here's the fight, here's the fight. But Paul is saying, but our fight is against principalities and powers. And, 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 and he's trying to sideline us or distract us from the main thing that's going on. And this has been going on for years. Uh, it's increased in the last number of years. And our country is more polarized than ever, even among people who profess to know Jesus Christ. And even now, during this quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, you're seeing it even more. And let me explain this to you. Please don't misunderstand what my heart is about this. But there are people, especially many of my own peers, who are screaming about government conspiracies and government cover-ups. And, and uh, um, then you have those who are screaming about uh, government overreach and the shutting down of churches and, and all of those things. And I'm not denying that maybe some of those things are happening or that they are happening. I mean, even just last night, uh, 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 a certain another state, a city in another state, they, they passed an ordinance saying that, that any kind of church that even wants to have an outdoor meeting is limited to 50 people, but every name of every person there must be registered and submitted to the local government. I mean, now we're, we're getting there. So see, that just fuels the fire of the people who are saying it's conspiracy, it's government, it's, it's a takeover of the church, it's, it's religious oppression and everything like that. It, that's what the enemy's trying to get us to focus on. And listen, I am going to tell you, I have said it over and over my whole life, my whole ministry, that I have no doubt that the day of civil disobedience regarding the government trying to shut down houses of faith is going to come soon enough, okay? But right now, those who are focusing on that, it's a misdirection play. Because all the while, while they're focusing on the government's trying to shut down the church, or the government's got a conspiracy going on, government's got a quarantine thing going on, government's got a cover-up going on, they're focusing on all of this. While they're doing that, God is over here trying to get the attention of the church to focus on the real issue and the real need. And the real issue in need is not a quarantine, it's not a vaccine, it's not a cure, it's the church repenting and calling out to God for forgiveness and restoration. Again, I, I've, every week I've gone to this, but in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, it says, if my people, listen to what it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways. There refers to my people. It goes back to, he says, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sins. Then I will hear their land. 
I'm just going to let you know in on a secret if you haven't figured this out. I am not surprised about sinners sinning. And God is not surprised. I mean, that's what sinners do. That's what I did before I came to Christ. I sinned, okay? Until the conviction of God came on my life and I realized I was lost and I realized it was wrong and I realized my sins were standing in judgment against me. I sinned, so it should not be a surprise. But evidently by this verse that we're seeing in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. God's issue is with those who call him father, but they have no problem with sinning. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now I want you to notice something here. The word judgment means a decision. In, in, in context, it's, for example, um, in a courtroom situation, situation, when evidence has been given, the judge has to render or give forth a judgment. In other words, he has to render a decision. And that's what the word judgment means in its, in its actuality. It means it is time for a decision to be rendered to, and it begins with the household of God. That's what the scripture is talking about. And so the basic principle is that sin separates us from God. And, and I've used this illustration before, that when our nation was founded, it was founded upon Judeo-Christian biblical principles. And we, our, our founding fathers acknowledged that God was the author and founder of this nation. And they said, they, they even gave prophetic words and speeches that the, in the year or time that we would turn our back on God, that God would remove his blessings from us. And I've used this illustration before, that if this is our nation or if this is our life and God is here, but as we move away from God, we create a gap. And when we create that gap, when we create that space between him and us, it increases not only the distance from him and us, but allows the enemy to come in and he begins to attack and the principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness, rulers of darkness, they begin to come in and take up residence. And the longer that dark powers reside over an area, the more people call right wrong and wrong right. In Romans chapter one, three times we're told, and it's emphasized that God turned them over. In other words, what it's saying is that God released them to be independent of himself, or he released them unto themselves, okay? And it applies to individuals, and it applies to nations. When God's disciplinary judgment is expressed, which I believe we are experiencing right now in America, the result is that God pulls his manifest presence away. It's not that his hand is being lifted, it's that we are pulling away from his hand of covering. 
And when that happens, it creates a vacuum and the consequences of sin and rebellion and dismissal of God fill that void. Again, Romans 1, look at what it says. There's three things that you'll see that will come from that. And let's go back. And look what it says. And it says, and how people will relate to one another, three ways you'll know how people will relate to one another, how people will relate to themselves, and in the decadence that will literally take over a culture. And then the Bible tells us when you've actually hit bottom. In other words, it's like a progression, how you relate to one another, then how you relate to yourself, and then how the decadence literally takes over a culture. That does not happen over time, overnight. But God says that you can know how it happens when you hit the very bottom. He says, because when people not only do things that are unrighteous, but they validate and they approve those acts of unrighteousness. And you have to understand that in the United States, our leaders arise from among the people. I mean, they're just people who grow up among us, okay? And so as people believe and think, so do their leaders. And the lines between right and wrong and holy and profane, those become blurred. And what happens is then the leaders begin to make choices that reflect their upbringing. I have lived long enough to see the distinction of change over the last several decades. So what we are finding right now is that God is trying to get us to see that the enemy is trying to get the church to change its focus of attention to these other issues when God is saying, here's the issue, let's go back to it. Now I read it in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people call by my, my name will turn from their wicked ways and repent, then I will do all these things. So I was reminded of the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. And in the book of Numbers 18 and 20, it says this, And the Lord said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. What this is referring to is that God said, Of all the tribes, they will get a part of the land for their families in the new promised land. But the Levites, they, that family, he said, you're not gonna get any land. You're not gonna get any land because the land is not your inheritance. I am your inheritance. Because the Levites were the priests that were by, by nature, by virtue of who they were and God's calling upon their lives, he said, I am your share. I am your inheritance. Let the others have land, but you're gonna have the greater inheritance and it's gonna be my calling upon your life. So they were not given tribal inheritance in the promised land. God was their inheritance. And everything that the Levites did during their lifetime was attached to God and attached to the temple. The church today is called to be like the Levites of the Old Testament in this manner, in that they are to be disconnected from this world and attached to God. First Peter 2 and 9 
says, but you, speaking of the church of believers, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our inheritance is nothing down here on earth. Our inheritance is in God. In the Old Testament, we're told of the story of when Jacob was wrestling with a man that we later learn was God come down in flesh and he was wrestling with him. And Jacob would not, in his struggle, would not let the man go. And the man kept saying, let me go, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And here's what we need to understand. Jacob wanted God to bless him, but God wanted to change Jacob. He didn't want to just give him a, a, a portion, a dose. God wanted to reinvent him, so to speak, completely change who he was. And the church today is a lot like Jacob in that they're hanging on to every little thing and asking God to bless their little thing, what they're doing, how they do it. And God, and God, and, and, and God is saying, let go and I'll change you. See, this is the season of repentance. This is the season of change. This is the season of letting go. Why is that so important? See, the enemy wants to get us focused on these other things. And God is saying, no, here's the issue. It's time to let go. It's time to repent. It's time to let me change you. Because see, when you have nothing to lose, you have everything to gain. Think about it. If you have nothing you can't lose anything. But as long as we hold on to whatever we consider so precious, then you have something to lose. And the enemy uses that as leverage. And he'll use his little misdirection play, say, if you do that, you'll lose your friends. If you do that, your family will walk away. If you do that, what will other people think? If you do that, they'll consider you a spiritual nut. You know, if you do that, whatever. I'm just telling you, he wants us. He's saying this is the season of repentance. It's the season of letting go. It's the season of change. And the enemy wants us to be distracted on the minor things. The old saying is that we need to major, we need to ma quit majoring on minor things. The major thing is God is saying, this season you break down, you fall on your face, you cry before me. You say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Come into my life. If there's anything wicked in me, as the psalmist said, reveal it and take it away. That is what God is wanting to do. See, we must become disconnected from the things of this life because as I talked about last week, there's a wave of God's glory that's coming. But if you want to be a conduit of that glory, you've got to let everything else go. You've got to let everything else go. Uh, just recently, where we live, um, we found a drainage problem at the house, and the plumbers came, and they drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled through the pipe. But whatever had been set in that pipe for years and years and years, for decades, 
had become so hardened they couldn't break through it. And so they literally had to just cut that line and lay a whole new line. And I couldn't help but think how many times we hold on to stuff in our lives as individuals, as churches. We hold on to stuff saying, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's supposed to be. Who says that's the way it's supposed to be? Who says that's, that's the way it's always been done? And, and what happens is we become so hardened to the move of God that he can't even break through just like that pipe. And so God says, enough, I can't do it. He's gonna lay a whole new line. He's gonna put down a whole new conduit. He said, because something has to be emptied enough that my glory can come and be channeled through it so that it can reach other people. See, it's one thing to say we want to see the glory of God at work in our midst. It's another thing to realize that you can't take hold of God's promise while trying to hold on to the world. We will never be able to pray the prayer of Gethsemane where Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. We will never be able to pray, thy kingdom come, until we can pray, my kingdom go. I'm getting ready to close in a little bit, but let me give you a couple of other quick points. The Levites were not anointed with oil, but they were anointed with blood. When they were called and put into the priesthood, the blood was put on their earlobes, was put on their thumbs, and put on their big toes. Why were they anointed with blood? Because they were called to be vessels to pour the anointing oil. God's people are anointed by his shed blood to be carriers of the heavenly oil. This past week, I want to read this last scripture to you. This past week, this verse came to me concerning the church in America today and for every believer. In Luke's gospel, chapter 12, the last part of verse 48 says, for to whom much is given of him much shall be required. And from him to whom much was entrusted, much will be asked. I believe that it refers to our nation and its rejection of biblical principles upon which it was established. However, I believe first and foremost, it applies to the church in America today. God is saying, I've given you much. I've entrusted you much. I've allowed you more than any other nation upon the earth. And yet you've turned your back on me or you've hardened your heart towards me. I believe that in this hour, God is speaking and people are, being, are hearing the call and they're responding to the heart of God. And I just wonder right now, if you're listening to this live or maybe you're gonna be listening to it a little bit later, where are those who will lay down everything 
And they will stand in this day and hour and ask God for a fresh outpouring upon their lives that they might stand in the gap and ask for a fresh outpouring of his spirit upon our land. Where are those who will turn their backs on their earthly inheritance that they might gain a heavenly one? Right now, right where you're at, God is speaking to you. And if nobody else was in the room with you right now, you would say, he's talking to me. The Holy Spirit's talking to me. Will you be one that will cry out to God in repentance for the sins of the church and this nation? See, Daniel was a godly man, but he was carried off into exile. But God revealed to him the sins of the nation in which he lived. And he recognized that. And he even identified himself with it. Not that he had committed them, but as a part of that nation, he had done so. My prayer is that we will begin to see through it. And that the call in this moment, listen, the call will change at some point down the road. But the call right now is that God says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God promises, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. Then I will forgive their sin." cannot be a holier than thou church. We cannot be a more righteous than thou kind of church. We have got to identify and recognize that as a church in America today, we have made idols to success. We have made idols unto buildings. We have made idols unto whatever others have told us is the achievement and success. I'm telling you, some of the greatest churches in America today may not seat thousands of people. They may be a small country church that has five or six pews, but they've got praying saints in there who have been praying and calling out to God, saying, God, send the fire of heaven. Send the wind of your Holy Spirit. Send the rain from heaven and bring a new Pentecost. I am praying this month that on May 31st leading up to that time there will be those who will hear the call and begin to fast and pray and begin to say God we need another Pentecost we need another rushing wind from heaven we need another outpouring of your spirit God do it in our day do it in this month do it in our town in our city in our surrounding communities God Will you do it again? And God is saying, if you will sacrifice your time, if you will seek me with all your heart and you will call upon me and repent of your ways and empty yourself. Listen, before the day of Pentecost, they were in that room for 10 days. 
They weren't up there playing cards and they weren't binging watching something on Netflix, okay? They were seeking the face of God. And as they did, they emptied themselves and emptied themselves and emptied themselves until one day God looks down and says, I see an empty container of 120 in an upper room. And there came a roar from heaven and God filled that place. And the people in the city heard the noise and they came running to find out what the meaning was. I'm telling you, God is looking for those who will empty themselves and repent and say, here I am, God, fill me, cause a roar to happen in my life and in my family and in my home and in my city and in my school. God, bring a roar to the church once again. Oh, hallelujah. Right where you are right now, pray. God, I'm, here I am, use me. Use me. Do, do whatever you gotta do, Lord. But do it. Here I am. Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name. I pray through this medium of technology that your Holy Spirit anointing is touching the hearts of individuals right now, right where they're at, right now. And you see everyone who's raising their hand. You see everyone who's fallen to their knees. You see everyone who's fallen on their face and they're saying, here I am, God. Don't let me be misdirected. Don't let me miss the direction of what you're saying to us today. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. There's a hunger. And a thirst, I am desperate. Immerse me, and I'm not waiting, not anymore. And I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Oh, I'm thirsty, Lord. Come on, church. And I am desperate. Right where you're at right now. Immerse me. And I'm not waiting. Not going to put it off anymore. anymore. And I need you, Lord. And I need you, Lord. There's a hunger and a thirst. And I am desperate. And immerse me.
you're honest with yourself and with God, you'd say, I have no relationship with God. I have no relationship with Jesus. But I am hungry and I am thirsting. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake shall be filled. Right where you're at right now, Jesus has paid the price. He did it all on the cross. There's not a thing you have to do but believe and receive. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a life without sin, He died on the cross, was in a tomb for three days and then raised from the dead, if you believe that in your heart, he paid the price. That's why he died. God demanded a price for the sins of your sins and my sins and everyone else's sin. And that sin was the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. But he didn't leave him in a grave. He pulled him back out and he's alive today. And he wants to save you. He wants to change your life. You're sitting there holding on to the things that you think are precious and yet inside you admit you're hungry and it's like you're empty. God said this is the season to let go. It's time to let go. Say, God, here I am. If you could do anything with me, I believe those things Pastor Bob just said and I'm saying with my mouth, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Come into my life now. In that moment you do that, your life will change. Your life changes dramatically, not only here on earth, but in the hereafter. You become a child of God, a child of the King, and a new life, a fresh beginning starts this moment. Father, I pray for anyone right now who has prayed that prayer, who has said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life right now. I'm letting go of the things I've desperately held on to. God, they've brought me nothing but heartache and pain and shame. I'm letting them go. And I reach out now and I take your hand. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would envelop them right now right now where they're at and bring them a comfort and a peace that they've been lacking all this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you prayed that prayer, would you send us a message? Send it on Facebook. Send it by way of, of Life Church. Go to lifechurchla.com. Contact us. Say, I prayed that prayer. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. We'll find a Bible and get it to you. We'll get someone in contact with you. But I'm telling you, God has so much in store for you, you can't even imagine. Church, those of you who already know him and you've just begun to pray, God, empty me of everything inside, get ready. I'm telling you, he's going to do it. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. Father, I speak blessing over your people. I speak blessing to those who have been listening right now. 
Father, I pray that the favor of God would rest upon them. For those who are in financial need or need of work or a job, God, that you would open doors for them. God, that you would give some ideas of creativity that would cause to bring a new avenue of income into their lives. Father, I pray not only for favor in that area, I pray for favor with family members who do not know you, God, that they would have an avenue to speak into their lives and that, Father, you would give them the opportunity to minister the name of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit bear witness to them that they are a child of the King and the King takes care of his people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Join with us Wednesday night for another time of worship in the Word. Amen.